All right, you guys can be seated. Um, yes, I am back up here giving the message today. So we are, um, if you've missed the last few weeks, we're doing a series. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 5. Um, it's part of, the, part of the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' probably most famous sermons. A lot of you are probably familiar with it. Um, and we're calling this series The Jesus Way uh, because that's really something that was crucial about Jesus is he taught this, this new way um, of living, a new way uh, that really became lost through religion, through church leadership, um, through Jewish leadership. And so that's why we call this the Jesus way. Um, what we're focused on is these six antitheses of Jesus in this sermon. Because this is a huge sermon. But there are six antitheses that are really, uh, that were really profound that he talked about. Now, you might be wondering, what is an antithesis? It's, you know, kind of this, this big, weird word. Well, it's simply, it's a figure of speech that's contrasting or comparing two seemingly op- opposite or opposing ideas. Um, if a lot of you guys are familiar with Proverbs, not necessarily the book of Proverbs, but just common sayings, uh, Proverbs, they use this figure of speech. Things like, beggars can't be choosers, or one man's junk is another man's treasure. Hey, those, are, those are antitheses. But a lot of you are probably really familiar with Proverbs in the Bible. Proverbs 1-7 that says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in Proverbs 15-1, which says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So it's really, it's comparing these two opposing things, and that's what an, an antithesis is. So we've gone over a couple of these antitheses already, okay? In week one, uh, we talked about how Jesus referred to the law forbidding the Israelites from murder, okay? So it said don't murder, but, but he took it a step further. He says something else. He says not only should you not murder, but don't even be angry with others. He says be reconciled. And in week two, we read about what Jesus had to say about purity. Okay? The, the law told them simply to not commit adultery. Uh, but Jesus, he actually told them, whoever, whoever looks at another person with lust has actually already committed adultery in their heart. So he actually took this a, a step further. It was kind of a radical version of purity that most of the relig- religious leaders weren't necessarily holding them to. And last week, uh, we had Mother's Day, and if you look at the uh, order of events on here, we were actually scheduled to be teaching about divorce on Mother's Day, and thankfully, somebody noticed that before we gave that message last week. So you can uh, leave it up to a group of guys in, together in a room to completely miss out on scheduling that correctly. So today, we are not going to be talking about divorce um, we're going to be talking about lesson four, um, and we'll do lesson three next week. Um, so, like I said, today we are on lesson number four, uh, talking about Jesus' way of being a truth teller. So, this is uh, Jesus' way of keeping your word, all right? Now, I've got a quick story. Uh, there's this pastor, okay, and he's walking uh, through the park, that's this one sunny summer day, school's out, and so the park is full of kids, they're enjoying their summer vacation, 
um, and he sees this group of boys standing around this bucket, these like 10 and 11-year-old boys, and he's wondering what's going on. So he goes over, um, and he sees in this bucket they've got this frog that they've caught. Um, and what he finds out is they're trying to decide who gets to keep the frog. Uh, you know, some lucky parent at home is going to bring home a frog. Um, but what he finds out is the, what they're doing to determine who gets to keep the frog is whoever tells the biggest lie gets to keep the frog, okay? A pastor, he is just appalled. He says, when I was your age, I never would have thought of telling a lie. And the boys, they all kind of, you know, kind of hang their heads and they're, they're thinking about this, you know, looking at each other. Finally, one of the boys, he, he shrugged his shoulders and he's like, well, I guess he wins the frog. <laughs> so, as you can see, most of the time, our notion of honesty uh, is somewhat partial, right? It's a, it's a little bit partial. Uh, brutal honesty isn't something that, that we tend to practice a lot. Kids seem pretty good at it, uh, but we're not. Um, so let's see what Jesus has to say about honesty and keeping our word. So like I said, we're in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be focusing on verses 33 to 37 if you have your Bible and you want to open up to that. Um, but here... Here are the verses we'll be focusing on. Starting in verse 33. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say, by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say, by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say, by my head, for you can't turn one hair, white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Now, as we get into this, I want you to think about the last time someone broke a promise to you. And I want you to think about how that made you feel. See, we've all had people break their word to us. That's part of living in this broken world, this fallen world with fallen people. Um, and if we're honest, we've all broken our word to other people as well. And it hurts, doesn't it? It hurts when someone breaks a promise to us. But is Jesus suggesting here that we shouldn't even make promises? Should we just not even try to hold ourselves to our word? What's he really trying to tell us here? Well, something that we need to know is that um, he's speaking to you know, a certain group of people. And the Pharisees during this time, they made a game out of vows. They, were, they created loopholes that would undermine God's original intent. Okay, the original, the original intent of making an oath back in that time, it was to reinforce a vow. It was uh, meant to bring this weight to what they promised. It was intended to bring this higher level of accountability to keeping their word. See, in Numbers uh, chapter 30, verse 2, it says, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. See, in the ancient world, um, that's not what I wanted up there just yet. In the ancient world, there were, there were no written contracts, Okay? Uh, very little was actually written down. Taking the time to write something down took a lot of work. Uh, so a vow would basically be like this verbal contract 
it, it was something that they took quite seriously. And they would even have witnesses who would hold people accountable to the things that they promised, the oaths that they made. And this idea of making an oath, it brought this, this bigger obligation. Okay? It was a serious thing. But over time, what this did was they, they began to just, it became a way of just playing games with words. See, the Pharisees, they essentially taught that your words don't have value unless you make specific oaths. Just like some people would kind of play tricks, uh, play games today with like written contracts, you know, kind of the, the fine print, we might say. Uh, this same concept worked its way back then as well into the way that they, they took oaths and made vows during Jesus' time. The Mishnah is the Jewish oral law, and this is, this is what's passed down from rabbi to student. And the Hebrew word Mishnah actually means to repeat or to learn. Now, one of the teachings in the Mishnah says, if a man said, I swear I will not eat this loaf, I swear I will not eat it, I swear I will not eat it, it says it three times, and he ate it, he is liable only on one count. So this idea that they actually began to determine when a lie counted and when it didn't, uh, it really shows that they lost the point. You see, they missed the heart of the matter through rules and laws uh, that were created by religious leaders. And this is exactly what Jesus was trying to address. Okay? So we already read what he said here in Matthew 5, but he addresses this again later on in Matthew. In chapter 23, he says, no, that's not the verse that I was looking for. <laughs> um, for you say that it means to swear by God's temple, that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple, blind fools. And you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind. See, the Pharisees, they were, they were playing games with words, essentially teaching that your oath only counted if you swore by particular things, right? By the gold in the temple, or by the gifts on the altar. If you swear just by the altar, it's fine. See, this, this is kind of the same idea of the way, you know, as kids we made promises. If your friend made some promise to you, but he had his fingers crossed behind his back, you remember it? It didn't count, right? This, this is exactly the same idea, and this is really how immature this way of thinking was. It's regressive. It's, it's really childish. And this is exactly what happens every time men try to inject their own ideas into God's commandments. It corrupts the purpose behind God's directives. And that's exactly why God has to give us clear instruction, very clear instruction in his word, the Bible. That's why we believe strongly in holding to the word firmly. Our human thinking, it always has this distorted view of right and wrong. We think we know right and wrong, but really we don't. See, God gave the Israelites extremely specific rules for this very reason. And I want to go over one of those in, in Exodus, okay? Chapter 21, uh, verses 23 to 25. It says, but if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, 
foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Why was it necessary for God to be so specific, do you think? Why couldn't he just instruct them to punish somebody for, you know, injuring, hurting, or, or killing somebody? Why couldn't he just say, they're, you know, come up with a punishment for that? It's because we, like I said before, we have this distorted view of right and wrong. Our idea of justice, it always goes too far. It always just takes it a step too far. Think about it. When somebody hurts you, if, if, if somebody close to you, a friend or, or somebody, they, or maybe not even a friend, anybody, somebody hurts you, your sense of justice is for them to hurt even more than you did, isn't it? You want them to hurt more. Not just the same amount, but more. Because we don't really have this clear concept of justice. It's distorted. Our idea of justice is simply revenge. That's why God has to give clear, specific instructions to us. When we try to put our own spin on God's laws, it misses the mark every single time. See, it creates loopholes um, just like they had. Now, creating loopholes probably wasn't what they had intended by coming up with all these rules and laws when it came to making oaths and vows. But it tends to be what happens when following rules becomes more important than just being honest and, and responsible for the promises we make. Uh, now, I want to talk about, we have this really fun game that we like to play, um, that our family likes to play. It's called Balderdash. Um, and the purpose of this game is to make up fake answers to go along with one correct answer. And, and everyone has to try to guess the correct one. Uh, there's different categories, like, like weird words, um, where you come up with the definition of this weird word. Or there's incredible initials, where you come up with what those initials stand for. And it's hilarious because a lot of times the, the correct answer seems more ridiculous than the made-up answers. And it's a lot of fun. But one of the categories on here, I brought a few of these cards, is laughable laws. These are actual real laws. Some of them are you know, present laws, some of them past laws. Uh, but I think it really kind of shows the crazy that comes about when we make rules for ourselves. So here's just a few of them. In Coral, Pennsylvania, it is still illegal for anyone to wear windmill beanie hats. A little windmill beanie hats, yeah, yeah. So it's against the law. In Dallas, Texas, you are not allowed to wear spurs on an airplane, on an airplane. yeah. In New York State, you're breaking the law if you accept a dead fish in the mail. In Waterloo, Nebraska, it is against the law for a barber to eat onions between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. That sounds like a logical law to me. I can imagine having somebody in my face who's eating onions all day. In British Columbia, it is illegal to run three-legged races for money. In Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, it is a criminal offense to tease a skunk. Seems like wisdom to me. Um, and in Savannah Beach, Georgia, it is against the law for a sleeping person to snore unless the windows are tightly closed. We're going to have to keep that in mind if we're ever in Savannah Beach, Georgia, because Sharice snores like crazy. <laughs> no, just kidding. I'm the one who does, and I hear about it all the time. In Charleston, South Carolina, this one's my favorite. It is illegal for a horse to pull a carriage unless it is wearing diapers. I just get an awesome image every time I read that one. <laughs> 
So it's easy for us to be critical of some of the Pharisees' rules. You know, when we read through the Bible, we, we, we read some of these things, and they just seem ridiculous. Um, until we read, like I just did, some of the ridiculous laws that we have. Um, isn't it? It, it, it's just crazy. The rules that we come with, up with, just because we can't be trusted to be responsible, caring, accountable people, right? So what was God's original intent? Is it that oaths are bad? We shouldn't even take oaths? No, Jesus is not forbidding oaths. What he's saying is he's telling us not to play games with the truth. See, playing word games is a pretty lucrative business these days. You can be a professional at it if you're really good at it. We call them politicians and journalists. (laughs) Haven't you noticed that it seems impossible for these people to speak plainly and honestly? It's always these word games, isn't it? And their lies and their word games, they're always found out. The problem is that we've become so accustomed to it that we rarely think about it as much anymore. But Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9 says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. The truth always comes out at some point. And to be honest, it's, it's really exhausting walking these, these crooked paths, isn't it? I'm sure many of us have been caught up trying to hide something, not being honest, and having to tiptoe around the subject every time it's being brought up. It gets tiring having to continually play word games. There's so much relief, honestly, when the truth does come out. And it would have been so much easier if the truth had just been out there from the start. So we shouldn't play word games, but oaths aren't forbidden. This isn't what Jesus is teaching. Hey, as with most of Jesus' teachings, he wants us to look at our hearts. What are our motives behind everything that we do? What would be my motive behind taking an oath? Okay, because vows, vows are not unbiblical. Okay? We see them all throughout the Bible. In fact, Paul swore to God. In 2 Corinthians 1.23, he says, I call God as my witness. And then in Galatians, in Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 20, he says, I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Okay? And honestly, Jesus didn't seem to object to it either. In Matthew 26, verse 35, we read, But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other, all the other disciples, they said the same. And we don't read anything about uh, Jesus rebuking Peter for saying this, for, for making this vow. And if he had, I'm sure it would be in there, because we see Jesus rebuke his disciples plenty of times throughout the New Testament or in the Gospels, that is. Um, We also see God make vows in the Bible. In Genesis 22, 16 to 17, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. Now this is when he was talking to Abraham after Abraham passed that that test of faith um, where he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. Uh, But obviously God stopped him from doing that, provided the sacrifice that was needed. Um, But Abraham passed this this test of faith, and God swears on himself that he will bless Abraham. And that's because, you know, God, he can't really swear on anything higher than himself. 
And again, in Psalm 110, verse 4, it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. So as we can see here, taking an oath is not unbiblical. Jesus is simply saying they're not not always necessary. Jesus says we should simply be honest with what we say. And an oath doesn't doesn't have any magical power, really, to to hold somebody to keeping their promise anyways. Um, In fact, the oath that we read earlier that Peter made was broken, quite famously. Many of you probably remember Peter denying Jesus three times after Jesus was arrested. So that didn't prevent him. Taking that oath didn't prevent him from breaking his promise. He still did. So Jesus, he was simply teaching to stop playing word games uh, with the truth. And this idea, it's reinforced numerous times throughout the New Testament. Um, in James chapter 5, verse 12, we read, But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. So we see another, I want to read another another passage here from the Expositor's Bible Commentary that's going to really explain a little bit more about what Jesus was getting at in this passage that we've been studying. So by differentiating between what was binding and what was not, wittingly or unwittingly, the Pharisees encouraged evasive oaths and therefore lying. Jesus cut through these complexities by insisting that people must tell the truth. He charges the teachers of the law and the Pharisees with mishandling the scriptures they claim to defend. See, Jesus is insisting that we simply tell the truth because as believers, there's a major consequence to not being a truth teller. And that is that when our words can't be trusted, it's hard to point people to a God who can be. See, I was not always a believer, um, but when my life began falling apart through addiction and selfishness um, in my personal life, I, I began to seek faith. And we started going to church, and after some time, I kind of started to consider myself a believer. Um, But while I wanted, what I really wanted, I just wanted the salvation that that Jesus offered, but I wasn't that committed to living a God-honoring life. And I I broke my word. I wasn't a truth teller. And I have regret for the people during that time in my life who saw the hypocrisy in my life. I was not a good witness to people during that time. I did a terrible job of pointing people to God through my example. And while I try to live a more God-honoring life now, those opportunities to affect those people's lives in a more positive way are gone. See, we have a serious responsibility to be witnesses to the people around us. And I did not take that responsibility seriously enough at first. And living in a world today that's so contrary to God and what he commands us, it's more important than ever that we reflect his honesty and his integrity and his goodness. Numbers 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man, so he does not lie, 
He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Is there anybody else that you can say this about? There isn't, is there? There's nobody else but God who measures up to this. But as God's people, as his church, we are his ambassadors. We're his ambassadors in this, this foreign temporary world that we're in. And we're called to demonstrate God's characteristics to an ungodly world. Shining the light that we pray will point people to him, to God. God does not lie, and since we are continually being made more and more each day in the image of his son, uh, we should have a desire to be people who keep their word. God keeps his promises to us, and so we should, we should try to keep our promises to other people. Now, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 and 19 says, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. See, our hope is in God, and he is always faithful, even when we are faithless which is quite often. He kept, he kept his promise to us from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve first rebelled and chose their way instead of God's way, he, he promised to rescue and redeem us despite our rebellion because we followed the same path as Adam and Eve. And he did this through his son Jesus who stepped down from heaven to live among us and teach us this, this Jesus way that we're learning about in Matthew 5 here. And what he did is he lived the, the life that we couldn't, this perfect life. He was completely obedient to God. And he became the only perfect sacrifice that could atone for our sins. And if we put our faith in Jesus, what the Bible says, um, his sacrifice covers our sin. And he, we're granted his righteousness. Not our own righteousness, but his righteousness. And this is, this is the gift of grace that we preach all the time, this gift of grace that is available to everyone who believes. It's available to everyone. It says in the book of Romans, to everyone who believes, no matter who we are, no matter what you've done. And this, this is transformative. This is where Jesus can really take our life in a new direction if we make him the Lord of our life. Many of you have put your faith in Jesus and know that the new life that, that you're given how amazing it is, but that some of you today, maybe you haven't made that decision yet and, and, and you're still thinking about that, you're contemplating that. If you haven't and you want to talk more about that, we have people who would love to talk with you about that. I would love to talk with you about that because um, I would encourage you to make that decision as quickly as possible um, because it's so important. And this Jesus way, is, it's, it is life. It is, it is a new life that is more abundant than you can ever think. 